This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. Call to Adventure, hosted by Alexopoulos and John Duckworth, an exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. Welcome to the 27th episode of Call to Adventure. This is John Duckworth here with Alexopoulos, and today we sit down with Catherine Budig, internationally celebrated yoga teacher and author known for her accessibility, humor, and ability to empower her students through her message, Aim True. She has over a decade of experience in her field, has also served as the yoga editor to Women's Health Magazine for five years. She's on the Yahoo Health Advisory Board, regularly contributes to Yoga Journal, The New Potato, and Mind Body Green. She was also an athlete in Under Armour's I Will What I Want campaign and the co-host of ESPNW's podcast, Free Cookies, with her fiancé, Kate Fagan. She's also the founder of her animal project, Poses for Paws, and the creator of the Aim True Yoga DVD produced by Gaim and the author of two books, The Women's Health Big Book of Yoga and Aim True. Often, celebrity can bring scrutiny and controversy, especially in the unusual world of modern postural yoga, and Catherine is no stranger to this reality. She has been the unintended catalyst for debate in the yoga community about the sexualized and commodified female form, and more recently, about body image. And she seems perfectly suited for that role, with the strength and confidence to step into the lion's den and emerge better for it, sparking much-needed conversations about difficult subjects. We cover a wide range of topics uh, like success and fame, coexisting, how to use jealousy and competition as inspiration, labels, sexual identity, and finding your human, meat suits, body image, and the yoga industrial complex, and stepping out of the box. So, without further ado, here's our conversation with Catherine Budig. Hope you enjoy. So, yeah, right off the top, I just want to say welcome to the show, Catherine. And um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what you've accomplished as a yoga teacher because I know quite a few of them, and it is not an easy industry to have any sort of success in. There's a whole lot of scratching and clawing to make ends meet. Yeah. Um, so good work. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The accidental career. You definitely yeah. don't go in if you want to become a millionaire at all. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. I mean, it's fiercely competitive because everybody and their brother has some sort of yoga certification, including myself. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't. I Are we going to do a little break about 20 minutes in? Yeah, right. Have Alex do some hip openers? Yeah. There we go. Totally. We'll I'm both down. work on your form. I'm the only one who doesn't have a yoga certification. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We're working on that. Yeah, we are. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Before we get into the calls to adventure, you know, the premise of the show, I thought it'd be a good idea to just back up a little bit. And speaking of yoga, every yoga teacher I've ever known has had some sort of uh, transformational, powerful experience that led them to want to share that experience with others. Mm-hmm. What was it that led you to yoga and, and then to decide you wanted to hang out for a while? 
You see, this is something that I struggle with on a regular basis because there's so many inspiring people who, you know, have gotten over severe trauma in their life or eating disorders or drug addictions. And I was in college and I really liked yoga and I thought it felt good. (laughs) And I started doing it. And it's, I, I really... Like I want to start a support group for people who have had very boring, normal backgrounds, but do stuff. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I, I was <laughs> I, I was doing a ton of musical theater. I you know caught the the acting bug when I was in fifth grade when I played the stepmother in Cinderella. It was a really breakthrough role, and I I loved it. I grew up a very very shy girl, and I found that when I was on stage, I could do whatever I wanted because it wasn't me. So, you know, it was some like weird alias Grace stuff going on. Um, which, by the way, is a Margaret Atwood book. They yeah. just did a show on Netflix, by the way. Check it out, I didn't everybody. I know the reference. Thanks for really, clarifying. Really, really good. Yeah. Oh, I'm just thinking about my eight-year-old daughter who, when I talk to her, she says, do you want to talk to Maya the Combo, Maya the Awesome, or Maya oh, Fantastic? No way. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to talk to my daughter. But. Oh, I want to hang out with all of them. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so, so theater was this happy place for me for a long time, and I was acting when I was in college. And one of my friends who was a ballerina went off and and did this ballet and yoga program in New York. And she came back all excited about yoga. And I had gone to the Aquatic Fitness Center and taken kickboxing and yoga classes. And my big takeaway from yoga is how do people not slip on the mats? That was seriously the only thing. I was like, God, I... I," And so I really liked it. So I started bringing baby powder with me, like a gymnast, you know, when they like hit the little ball and like getting all serious. Because I have really sweaty feet and hands, evidently. hands before you go in, wiping the chalk In retrospect, it was probably a $10 yoga mat was the problem. But uh, so I couldn't fully enjoy yoga because I couldn't hold the poses because I was so slippery. And then eventually we went to the studio that was an Ashtanga studio. And that's where I fell in love. And uh, the teacher, Jennifer Elliott, she's ageless. I have no idea how old she is now. I have no idea how old she was then. She was just these long gray braids, beautiful physique, calming. She had this aura that would suck you in. What time frame is this? What this was, I was a third year at the University of Virginia in and college. So, and like early... So I was ni- 19, ni- 20? 1920? No, is like that? in 97, 98, or like oh, you went 2000. <laughs> Let's see. I graduated from college in 2004, so okay. that was 2001, 2002. Okay, got it. Um, I'm really bad at dates. I can't even remember what I did this morning, so it's like... Mm. Um, I'm with you there. Right? Yeah. It's so bad. <laughs> totally. If, if you w- didn't let me look down, I wouldn't know what outfit I have on. That's not true. I picked out good boots today. but uh, uh, My son is 13. He's my external hard drive now. Oh, I like that term. I'm like, dude, when, when did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> he helps me out quite a bit, yeah. So long story short, it was the thing that I realized is this is the highlight of my week. And right. then I bought my own yoga mat. And I was so proud to tote this yoga mat across the grounds from class to yoga. And it, it was just this feeling, you know. And again, it wasn't, I wasn't escaping from something. It wasn't healing me. And I know it has the power to do that. It was just making me feel full. So... By the time I graduated, I had decided between New York and L.A., and I thought I'd go try to L.A. because I was still going to pursue acting. And my teacher said, you have to go to Yoga Works. You have to train with Chuck Miller and Matias Rati. Hmm. They are the absolute best. I have no idea yet this time, no idea who these people are. And turns out she was sending me to the Juilliard of yoga, basically. And I applied for their teacher training. It was the last one they did before they sold it. 
got in and the day after I arrived in LA, I started training. Wow. And it was not the kind of yoga we did at Virginia at all. And Chuck spoke 98% Sanskrit the first night. And I was like, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I don't know what's going on. I'm in over my head. This is insanity. And then the next day, Mati taught asana. And I was crying in like triangle pose, which really shouldn't be a pose that you have to cry in. But it was mind-blowing. And, you know, she had eight assistants, and they were on me, like, white on rice. And I felt like nothing I could do was right. And, like, my, you know, bone marrow wasn't moving correctly or something like that. And um, But There's by the end... Sanskrit word for that, too, I think. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and I... Um, but after that, it was transformative. And I was like, okay, game on. It clicked at that yeah, moment. Yeah, because yeah. it was intense. What an intro to L.A.? Yes, and then because you're going there to, to to pursue an acting career. Yes, and it was perfect timing too because it allowed me to fall in love before Hollywood made mm-hmm. me fall apart. And has a tendency to do that. Absolutely. I mean, anyone who has survived in that world, bless you. I don't even understand. I, I don't. I love movies. I love theater. I love to be entertained. I would not want to go through the behind the scenes process of what it does to. To create that world, though, and so you jumped into a fully d- different career right off the yeah. bat. Yeah, yeah, but you know, and, and I was I was a little girl at the time, basically. So, you know, I had very simple needs, and it was just I was teaching I don't know twenty classes a week for a while between jumping wow. between privates and classes and this and that, and eventually started teaching on the road. And it was like me calling up studios, being like, "Hey, I'm going to be in Savannah because my family's there, so you don't need to pay for me to get there. I have a place to stay, like just." host me (laughs) and I did that a lot in the beginning and it worked and it it turns out once you do that probably not in this day and age so if you're a yoga teacher listening to me now don't take my advice Um, but it was a different time when not many people were touring and then once you're on the circuit you know you're in but yeah I was just knocking on a lot I was a hustler I was a little tiny baby beauty hustler it's a good segue into the first call to adventure, which you <clears throat> describe as a really bad breakup yeah. in L.A. Um, you describe him as sort of uh, Hollywood, successful, sort of... W- w- just share that with us. What, what was that? Shocker, I dated the successful Hollywood type in L.A. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> I will not mention names, but he was just a very beautiful human who was uh, at the time on a show that was very successful. And and so it was fun for me because I had already given up on acting, so I was living vicariously through it to a certain extent. Not ever to the point that I got to go to cool parties and stuff, which I was really hoping for that. I'm like, I'm going to get a ball gown. No, that didn't happen. Hanging around longer than you should have, still <laughs> waiting for the party. <laughs> so sad. Um, and it was one of those, uh, gosh, I don't know if you guys relate to this, but you know when you look back at the decisions you made romantically in your 20s and you're just like, wow why didn't someone sit me down and talk some sense into me? And I think my therapist would probably tell me that, you know, I was just constantly trying to find someone to love me. And I just wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be loved. Um, And I I grew up very quiet. I have a very successful father. And I think ever since I was a little girl, I just had this weird seed implanted in me that Mm, I'm going to redo that sentence. That sounded wrong. But just this w- weird feeling. 
<laughs> this is a rated R good podcast. Thing called to adventure. <laughs> we're, uh, not, we're not live and we have a really good editor with us. Oh, we're so keeping it's, that. It's, it's we're good. Keeping that. We're keeping that. Yeah. I'm like, that's the first of many. Sorry. Um, the point being, though, I... I, I Sadly, kind of, and it's weird in this day and age of empowerment for women. I didn't grow up very empowered, and mm-hmm. that is no that no fault of my mother's, my father's. But I just, you know, I, I had things that I loved. I loved animals. I wanted to be a naturalist. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a gymnast. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be all these things. But I, I never had this feeling that like, oh, whatever I do is going to be so successful that I can take care of myself. And I don't know if that's because I grew up with a father who's so successful. My mother was kind of like the first lady to mm-hmm. many of the things that he did. My mother is phenomenal. To give um, context, your father was the commissioner of it, American He was the, the president of the American League right. for Major League Baseball. And prior to that, I grew up in Kansas. He was the chancellor of the university. And he had right. been president slash chancellor of three other universities. He was a, a major in the Air Force. He right. taught at Princeton. I mean, he's just one of those guys like, yep, did it, done it, do it, done um, and so, yeah, I had this weird, not lack, but just kind of like, I'm probably eventually going to meet someone who will take care of me. Not like, oh, I'm going to go after some rich human, but I just right. that someone's probably going to kind of do what my dad did for my mom. And like you said, you didn't feel like you were whole fully. Yeah. And so maybe the other person was going to complete you in some way. Well, that and that's, and so yoga ended up, it's not a dramatic story, but yoga was community for me. And yeah, okay. Mati was like my mom. And that yoga room gave me family and it gave me a sense of completion and a sense that I belonged Mm -hmm. and a a wholeness that I I was lacking. And obviously I was trying to find that in romantic relationships as well. And moral of the story, my friends do not date a Hollywood actor if you're looking for completion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, he's, there's no way he's listening to this, so I don't need to worry about hurting his feelings. Um, But when we broke up, I was, uh, it's so devastated and, and God, I mean, we dated for four months. It was nothing, but you know, in my head, it was like, this is it. We're like right. bookends. This is perfect. And it lit this massive fire underneath my ass. And hmm. I was like, Oh, you know, you've been on the cover of men's health magazine. Watch me. I'm going to go be the yoga editor for women's health magazine. And I did. Right. Oh, you're doing this. Well, I'm going to, which generally speaking, again, don't take any pages <laughs> out of my book, but it, it, that was a, a prime example of turning comparison and jealousy into motivation. What would you tell yourself today uh, about that journey? <clears throat> Because jealousy and competition are... Gnarly. They are, right? I mean, those are two heavy emotions. I've felt both of them, and, and they don't feel really good. Um, it's impressive that you use that to fuel sort of a positive result. But right. would, you, would you today sort of go through that experience with the same... Oh, God, no. Right. No. Right. So what, what would you tell yourself today? See, I always think that's such an interesting question because I needed to do what I did then to have the answers that I have now. Right, yeah. So I, in no shape or form, if I had to relive those pockets of my 20s now as a 35-year-old, would I want to? But it's also like I wouldn't have the, the wisdom and experience had I not done it. So it's because at this point in my life, the big concept that I'm chewing on is is success and happiness even synonymous? And I don't think right. it is. Right. And as a young woman, I thought the higher I climb, once I, I got out of this, like I'm just going to be this little, you know, timid teddy bear type, 
is the, the higher I climb on the ladder, the more successful I will be seen, the more full and whole. Mm. I was looking to be completed through success, right? which many people do. And I, in, in actuality, what I needed was human connection and meaningful conversation and, and a community, you know, a tribe, whatever you want to call it. It's almost built into the to the American dream these days that that's the it formula, is. you know. So and so I'm, it doesn't surprise yeah. me that you or anybody would pursue things in that way, well, right? It, it, it's so delectably tantalizing, you know. Yeah. It's yeah, it's so easy, and especially you know. And I don't want to be one of those people who's just going on about social media is killing the world because I know we're all saying that, and it is. But you know, this idea that we are a community that's based off of likes and approval and accolades and and I even had a, a friend of mine who's a, a, a well-known person in the fitness world send me a message last night being like yo are your numbers on Instagram falling because I don't know what's going on and I'm really stressed out and I was like yeah my numbers have been dropping for like the past six months and that's not us that's the algorithm that has been created to make us effing crazy and it's working because it's like oh we're gonna draw you in we're gonna give you all these like good feelings and hits of dopamine because you're gonna open your page and all these people are gonna like stuff and you're gonna feel like you're doing the right thing and it's popular and then we're gonna tweak it make you crazy and then once you're crazy we're gonna make you pay for it because that's how you're gonna get that feeling back I mean, it's a very obvious model but it's just it's unbelievable that that's where the world is and so it's of course if that's the feeling that even in in our bedroom on our phones when we're supposed to be turned off and having happy <laughs> moments, you know, there's no escape. It's not like nine to five and then you get to go home and be a happy person. That there's always, always this there. hum mm-hmm. of do more, do more, do more. Which is why I left. I was living in New York City for the past year, which is why we eventually left because it's you're sitting in your sweatpants and you look outside and the city's like. Yeah, oh, talk about competition. Lazy. I mean, it's it's yeah. I mean, that's that that city will will drive you to be incredibly oh. competitive in every category. It's, it's a great, you know, because the whole, the second call to adventure where you talk about photographs that were mm-hmm. posted in yoga body image. Well, this was yoga mm-hmm. journal. Yoga journal. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is really an interesting conversation about sort of celebrity, social media, women and women, the conflict in the yoga yeah. world. It's a, it's a big conversation. Um, and I want to get to that. Um, I, I just want to listen to uh, one of my favorite artists, actually, Sia. Yes. She's my daughter's favorite. Is she really? Yeah, and I, I find nice. myself listening to her. Uh, with Which one of your daughter's personalities likes her the most? Oh, okay. I'm not quite sure. Uh, she's got <laughs> Good it's question. so interesting. Yeah, I keep trying to get her into drama, but she hasn't been on that yet. But let's, uh, let's take a little break uh, before we come back to our second call to adventure with uh, Elastic Heart by Sia.
Here we are, John Duckworth, Alex Opolos with Catherine Budig, and that was Sia with Elastic Heart from her album, 1,000 Forms of Fear. A lot of fun there. Um, she's you pretty powerful. fun names to say, by the way. That was just a satisfying <laughs> little riff of names. Okay, continue. I enjoy them as well. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. Um, so... On this next call to adventure, we talked about this at the break. It gets pretty murky fairly quick um, and complicated. Uh, there was an issue with a, a cover you did for the, for the yoga journal issue, uh, the body issue. Mm-hmm. And maybe to set this up, because you know, a lot of people who listen may not have any experience with, your, with the yoga industrial complex, as it's now being called, right? Yes. And sure. you, know, you back up a little bit to... Um, when was it you first started doing the toe socks ads? Because you're no stranger. Mm. Sorry, you don't do dates. Never mind. No, no, I, do, I, so can't, it, I can give it, you age, but I can't give you years because that's a lot eight, of math. Maybe 10 years ago, uh, you started doing a campaign that resulted in some controversy. Yeah, I, I started doing toe socks, God, oof, I think I was 24 or 25, maybe. Okay. Um, and this goes back to the kind of embarrassing, you know, Kansas naivety, na- naivete, 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 yes. Um, but it, 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 for the listeners who don't know it, it was a black and white campaign shot by Jasper Joe Hall, uh, and it was me in my birthday suit wearing... With some toe socks toe on. Toe socks. For, for yoga, yeah. But it, it was, you know... Safe enough to publish in a magazine, so all of the really interesting bits would always be covered. But the lighting it, it, to this day, I think Jasper is still one of my favorite yoga They're photographers. They're beautiful photographs. He's and, very and talented with light. I wouldn't, you know, um, um, it's incredibly artistically mm-hmm. produced and, and thoughtfully I, produced. And, and, and I pursued him originally because I did. saw his okay. art and I was like, I want. I want you to shoot me because it was just absolutely stunning how he captures, I mean, you're an artist, you know, light changes everything. Yeah. And especially with the physical body and he's shoots dancers and yogis and yeah, the lighting's and, fantastic. And the, and the conversion to black and white yeah. is, 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 and it really captures the body well. in a way like, yeah, it, it, don't panic. I'm not going to strip down right now, but if I was like in my birthday suit right now, you'd be like, Oh, that's not what it looks like. In those ads. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, you know, he takes an altered reality of what is actually you, but just makes it, it's, it, it was exquisite. And so, so you approached him originally I, just, yes, not for the campaign, for but the I campaign, just wanted just photographs. And just, then that led yes. to the, campaign? Yes, because we okay. built a relationship together where we were shooting regularly and then Tosox approached to us. Okay. Did you have any thoughts in that moment? Like, hmm, I better step back and consult my like... Yes. I mean, okay. because it's... It, well, you know, actually, no, because I, that happened the first time I shot nude for him. Okay. Oh, okay. Because just I had never... Not for advertising, just to do it. Yes. Okay. Because I just, I'd never taking my clothes off for a non-purposeful, you know, yeah. like, hey, kind of way. I, that's like my, my sound for yeah. this podcast. Um, so I, I, I talked I talked to my parents. I talked to lawyers. You know, I just I wanted to know, is this stupid of me? But then uh, when the ad campaign came along, I was like, comfortable okay, by that. I'm already yeah. comfortable with this. Let's do this. I would this. walk into a studio yes. and be like, you know, just take off my clothes. No big deal. Okay. Uh, and it turns out when you're doing difficult yoga postures for two to three hours, you do not care what people see on your body. You're just like, ah, let it all hang out. Um, but it, that in itself was a really amazing experience for me because it just goes to show how 
talk about murky, the, the layers of ego and, and insecurity that we have built around, I call it a meat suit, about our meat suit. And, you know, once you actually focus on what's going on, then it's like, oh, this is just simply an, an encasement for my soul and you've got this too and it's yeah. something that's been sexualized and something that's been t- turned into something well that's the part that i found know. fascinating and it and it transitions to the yoga journal cover but but for me there was there was the, the blowback if i could sum it in one statement was that these images were sexualized yes. versions of the female figure yes um that were um uh, put out there to sell products, so it's you know commodifying the female figure. Right now, I think it it's it's the irony is that like if you look at like okay Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, yeah that's sexualized. <laughs> right. I look at these images and I I never would right, see it's them not arched as arched back. You know, it, no, it's no, it's very, straight up. If I had been fully clothed, that would have been like oh, it's, it's a, yoga a yoga pose. pose. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And honestly your form wouldn't have looked any different because wearing yoga clothes or not because right. of the way they were shot. If know? anything, that was exhausting because we would, I would do this really difficult pose and then I would get out. He'd be like, oh, we got <laughs> nipple. Can you uh, oh, angle yourself a quarter inch more to the left and do that again? I'd be like, just airbrush my nipple off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, just in some research, you know, go, going back and looking at when Brandy Chastain scored the winning goal in the mm-hmm. World Cup and mm-hmm. took off her shirt. Yes. Right? Oh my gosh, there was so she had much. A, she had a bra on her, a sports bra. A underneath. huge sports bra. <laughs> and she yes. was she was really chastised yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. Men take off their shirt. I was going to say every, all the time. Ronaldo. Can't. They get off their shirt and they're going to be on the cover of GQ. Oh, right. they're so hot. Look at their obliques. What is that about oh. the debate? Women and on women about about sort of the body. I I, I have uh, I'm a son to a very strong independent woman. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, the husband to a very strong independent wife. Yeah. I'm the brother to four incredibly strong independent women, and I'm the father to a very small but strong <laughs> and independent daughter. Uh, and and we were at a family conversation, and I raised the topic of. You know, what's never talked about with the female population that I spend time with is the battle that's going on between women against women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious what your thought is, because this was women coming after women. I think it's multifaceted because one part for sure is just centuries of repression and it's ingrained in us. I mean, it's only recently that women, and we're not even there yet, but that women are being given permission to feel equal in certain capacities. Mm-hmm. So when you have centuries and centuries of that, that's going to be, I think, in our DNA, that's going to energetically be in us. But beyond that part, which you know, it's going to take years and years and years to break that off, is just the innate competition. And I think I, I learned this mm. especially because now I'm in a relationship with a woman. And it's... It, and I, I laugh now. I think I heard Kate once that make a quote the other day where she was talking about a woman, and she's like, "I don't know if I want to be you. I don't know if I just think you're beautiful, but I just really want to give you a kiss." And I'm sitting there like, "Well, that just means you're attracted to her. It's okay to say it." Um, but it, it's complicated because like uh, Kate will say something like, "Oh, she feels fat," or something that you know we all go through. And for the first time in my life, I'm looking at her and being like, "I would love to have your torso." 
if I could simply have your torso. So it's a combination of you're so beautiful slash I'm kind of jealous. Mm. Like I would love to have these certain aspects of your body that you complain about. And so I, I think that's ultimately where these clashes come from is, you know, it's like when you're in the sandbox when you're a little kid and the stereotypical, like, oh, the boy is like pulling on the girl's hair. And then the parents are like, that means he likes you. And so I think there's a lot of with women with women, you know, the, the women who make me craziest are the ones that I'm straight up jealous of. Not that I hate them, but it's like, wow, you're beautiful or what you're doing with your career. I wish I was doing that with my career. And the easiest emotion, instead of realizing that there are things that you would like to approve upon within yourself, is to cast judgment on that other person because it's low-hanging fruit, it's accessible, and you go for it. Um, But I think if people, women, actually took the time to sit down with those emotions and realize, like, wow, I I think you're beautiful or "I I think you're really successful and... I don't feel that way right now, and you're triggering me. Mm-hmm. It's a different approach. It's, Not a, it's, it's a more challenging simple. approach, yeah. uh, um, potentially. But I, I wanted to bring that up because it kind of sets up the context for then this call to adventure, which you mentioned, which is being selected to be on the cover of Yoga Journal uh, for their body issue. And then there was a um, there was some blowback blowback that came from that that ended up being, as you described it. A shit show. <laughs> yes. And I tend to agree. Like, I mean, I, I went having no knowledge of this myself. I was aware of the toe socks ads and, the, and a little bit of controversy around that just because I'm in the yoga community mm-hmm. practicing. Um, but I didn't have anything, any knowledge of this. And so I deep dove into it on, on you know, the Google search engine. Google and was rabbit like, hole. Wow, man, that's really incredible. It really did. It was pretty intense. So can you just uh, go back in time a little bit and describe what that felt like in that moment? Yeah. um, (sighs) I mean, basically, uh, I think to whittle it down to a nutshell, I think from what I could glean from it is there was there was comments that you should not be the ambassador for body image in yoga and that you had been selected to be that person. and, and, And instead of maybe taking on the publication, yeah, there was some personal uh, um, comments directed specifically to you. Yeah. And I think the immediate response when people were saying that was, I'm not trying to be the ambassador for body image positivity. I'm sharing my story within this community as a voice amongst a sea of voices, but knowing that I've been given a platform and trying to use it in Mm -hmm. a smart, helpful way. Uh, And yeah, it was hurtful because I... And one of my best friends, Caroline Shea, who's definitely listening to this, hi, Caroline, uh, you know, she's my, my warrior friend. And so she would go on to every single feed on Facebook that was negative about me. Like, <laughs> you gotta have friends like that. That's great. But eventually she's yeah. like, yo, I got to tap out. I got to <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I loved her for that because I, I'm, I am so sensitive. I honestly think every human is as sensitive as I am and that we just put on these facades of being tough. But it was draining because I didn't go in there trying to appropriate. That wasn't what I, my aim at all. I was sharing my story and especially, and, and the other thing too. Well, and by keep, the way, you were asked to share your story, right? This I was asked to share my story and I, I, I didn't realize that this cover of Yoga Journal was going to have a big 
the body image issue slapped on the top of it. It was kind of a rebranding moment for them. And so it became right. under so high scrutiny for that reason. So when I was you, shooting this cover, I didn't realize I was signing up to be the poster girl okay. for this. And it was interesting, too, because I, I, some people were complaining, she can't be this, she can't be this. And I have on a sports bra and leggings, and I'm jumping in tree pose. And it turns out, like, when you externally rotate your hip and you're jumping, it's not the most, like elongating thing to do on your stomach and I have a very short torso so it was like kind of cute and a little like poochier um like on the span of pooch whatever we all have different interpretations of pooch but some people are like oh it's so refreshing to see a plus-size model on the cover of yoga (laughs) journal so it's like I'm getting people being like oh look at you you look a little chunky monkey (laughs) and other people being like screw you screw you so I felt like I was getting it from both sides it's like oh so I'm not skinny enough to be on this cover for your comfort level, but I'm not fat enough to talk about the topic at hand. And so I just How felt, dare you say that you're curvy? Yeah, it's not a one shoe fits all, one size fits all kind of situation. And so it, obviously the immediate response for me was to feel hurt and to feel defensive and to not understand. Um, but it ended up being an amazing learning experience for me because I'm a teacher, I'm a public speaker, I my job is to go out and hopefully formulate thoughts in an eloquent way that changes people's minds or allows them to think. And had I continued to talk about that specific topic in the way that I had prior to this experience, I would not have reached the people that I can today. And, uh, you know, I had a long talk with Sean Korn about it, who's a phenomenal figure in the yoga community, and she's like a sister to me. And, uh, you know, she's a social justice phenom and knows how to handle all of this and she's like look you are white you are a size four you're blonde you have blue eyes like you are the american dream and when you talk about topics like this people are not going to hear you when they see what you look like so and it doesn't mean that i'm not given permission to talk about it it just means i need to reword how I talk about it. And, and understand the context in which people are listening. And understand okay. how I can trigger people. Right, right. And, 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 and that's why yeah. I mentioned the toe socks thing, because it wasn't only just this ad or this right. cover. There was a history of sort of controversy around right. your yes. body already. And even though I didn't go into toe socks thinking, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars off right. of socks, which, by the way, you don't make a lot of money selling socks, <laughs> you know, or like, I just really want to show my naked body to people. I, I loved the art. Um, but people don't care. You know, people just see what is on in their magazines or on their social feeds. And, you know, it's someone that they, this is what we do to any ounce of celebrity is we project what a person is like, even though we've never met them or we may never meet them. And, you know, my, my thing was, have you taken my class? Hmm. You know, like say that to my face after you take my class and then we'll talk. And if you still hate me, then I will sit down and we will have I will listen to everything you have to say. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? It's a, yoga is a personal experiential process. It's, it's yeah. not a social media process. Or an, no, but it it's turned into that, unfortunately. It is, but, but, the, but the real um, potential uh, transformational uh, aspect, feel-good aspect to yoga happens when you're practicing it. Yeah, true. Well, start back a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, Instagram. I've just like, that was my uh, 2017, uh, what was it, my New Year's resolution to be on Facebook and, and Instagram. Dip so, your toes so in I'm social a, media. I'm a newbie, right? I have like <laughs> 22 followers. <laughs> um, you have like 255,000 followers, whatever that number. It's a whatever. lot. Yeah. 
was there a point in that process that it went from self-expression to, oh my goodness, there's like, there's a lot of people following me mm-hmm. and now it feels maybe a little bit heavier. Stifling. Stifling. There's a little bit more fear with what I put out there. Mm-hmm. I have a responsibility. With I'm what- hyper aware of what, I, I, I still pride myself on posting what I want to post, but depending on if I want to get political, for example, I am, I have to prepare myself emotionally. For, uh, for the for the reaction to that. Oh God, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and carefully choose your words. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Knowing that there's even, because even, even no if my words car- are perfect, right. people, people will still won't. respond negatively. There's no such thing as like this is what you're going to say and everyone's going to love it. Right. Um, hmm. And I learned that during our election last year. Right. You know, when I was open about my political thoughts during the election, it lost thousands and thousands and thousands of followers. And then when I posted that I was getting a divorce. Lots of people left me after that because they wanted me to be that hmm. dreamy, like you had the perfect wedding and you're married to a man with a penis and, right. and <laughs> all these things. And, and then, then you come out in a relationship with a And then I come out with, with a relationship with a woman and people are like, More people. you know, they just, but, but and, and it's just so complicated because if you actually look at the posts, it's all this love, all the support. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Behind the scenes, numbers plummeting. And it's. It, are you comfortable with that? Um, it makes me sad. Uh, I don't think comfort is the right word. It, it just, it makes me sad because I'll talk to my best friends about, you know, for example, when Kate and I are traveling, there's certain places where we don't feel comfortable holding hands. And it's not a lack of pride. It's not a lack of us being comfortable with being with each other, but a lack of safety. And never before in my entire life had I had to worry about that. If I walk down the street holding a man's hand, that's the most normal thing in the world. You walk down the street holding a woman's hand, especially if it's two like, attractive-looking women who are clearly t- t- together, it's, it stands out. It's interesting. I was listening to... You have a podcast with Kate Fagan called Free Cookies uh, through ESPN, and I was listening to an episode the other day where you were talking about that specifically. And yeah. now Kate, who's publicly identified as gay, mm-hmm. lesbian for a much longer time. Um, she's the first one to drop your hand rather oh, than yeah. the other way around. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's had way more struggles. I get, it's, it's, I, I consider myself fluid because, and, and I even have friends come to me now and they're like, Oh, well not good friends actually, but I have had people come up. So are you like, you're a lesbian now, huh? I'm like, oh God. <laughs> No, you don't just become a lesbian. You don't just become gay. Yeah, Yeah. it's not like, I'm all in the closet now. It's, I love humans. And it turns out that my human happens to be a woman. And it's as simple as that. I love that. And, uh, but that's a really hard concept for people to wrap their heads around because people like boxes and they like to check them off and they like to know exactly what you are. And I think what I'm struggling with when you go back to the social media is people don't know who I am anymore. They, I'm not easy to identify. But do you know more who you are? Absolutely. And so is that, on the one hand, it's, is it... It's good for me. Right. It's comforting, right? Because you're finding your authentic voice. Yeah. Um, you are who you are. But the reaction uh, in, the, in the community at large is confusion. They want clarity. You are X, you are right. Y. You're, and so... And I may never be able to give that to them, but that's, my goal is not to let people understand me neatly. 
Right. That's not my goal in life. I know the world loves vanilla and the, the world loves easy definitions and they like to go somewhere and know exactly what they're going to get. And you're not going to get that from me and that's okay. I'm okay with tons of people not understanding me or not liking me or feeling like I've lost. I've had people be like, you've lost your way. I'm like, well. Such is life. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Um, But the people who have privately messaged me or come up to me after a teaching who have been like, you've given me permission to want to be with my girlfriend. Or "You've, you've given me, like, I feel like this is okay now. And that's what I give a huge flying F about. (laughs) Like, I want to know that I'm helping people be themselves. And that's the kind of thing that helps keep the fire burning now. Yeah, Yeah. and I think by the lack of, like, being able to pin me down actually helps people identify. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Fascinating topic, really. (laughs) really is. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. I I came into a quote I was reading from a publication way back when... uh, John Friend was was mm. uh, getting skewered a little bit for Anusara and and um, this quote really seemed to hit home for me for what's happening what happened with you there with Yoga Journal mm-hmm. and I'll, I just want to read it just and get your feedback on this. He talks about uh, market based spiritual enterprises in America and how it highlights above all else the deep and subtle culture of hypocrisy that wellness teachers, yoga, Buddhist, and otherwise encounter when bringing a service deemed as spiritual, in quotes, Mm -hmm. into a capitalist economy. We hold them to a level of perfection which no mortal could ever attain. And and he follows that by saying, more often than not, if you take up a practice, basically if you go to Catherine's class, (laughs) um, uh, in any of these traditions and pursue it genuinely, you will find something incredibly rare in our culture, fairly selfless teachers who are really there to help and serve with useful practices and life tools. The underlying intention of what you're trying to do as a yoga teacher is to help people understand who and where they are, right? Yes. And I, I feel like that message sometimes really gets lost in uh, yes. the shuffle. I agree with the quote that there's very few people left who actually are there for what we want to call the true purpose mm. of being a spiritual guide. Um, but I mean, is that surprising? I mean, look how glossy this world has become. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it's so tempting to take that take the numbers take the money you don't make a lot of money in yoga most people don't I have been very fortunate to to sustain myself in the way that I have through this career I'm also very rare Um, and you see now on Instagram people get their panties in a bunch over like oh you you know you're doing an ad for this clothing company or you're selling deodorant or you know you're you're using your platform to sell products. Exactly. You know, it's the, the the selling out to the man. But at the same time I'm like, well these people don't make a lot of money. Right. And if a company is coming to them and you believe in that deodorant or that popcorn is the popcorn that you eat every <laughs> single day of your life. Why wouldn't you? It's not selling out, it's called capitalism. That's what we live in, you know. It's, it's, so it's, it's very complicated for me, you know, and it's so it, and there's people just trying to survive and they're they're trying to make a living. So I don't like to be the first person to judge in that situation and yes, I do think that there was this drama recently where a clothing company was using the discount code self love hmm. for like 30% off stretchy pants. And yeah, that's, I mean, come on now. I'm not sure self love and stretchy pants are really in the same, same synonymous sense there, but 
But well, at least they're spending money thinking they might feel good and then go into a yoga practice, which might change sure. their opinion Yoga's about that paradigm. Yoga's going to make you feel good. And to be completely fair, as someone who loves fashion, if yeah. you put on the right outfit, Absolutely. you feel great. Yeah. I totally believe in that. But I also can see they're like, oh, you're selling really tiny pants that fit like up to a size four. For but I get right. it. I get it. But it, this is just an argument that could go on and on and on and on. And, and for me personally, if I'm ever approached to endorse a product, I have to believe in it. I, there's no way that I could share anything with any semblance of confidence or it, it just... So that's the big thing is like whatever you do, you just have to know like this is truly what I believe in. And I believe that if I turn something down like that, money will come from another place that is actually in alignment with what is real to me. I, f- I feel you to be an incredibly strong, powerful woman, um, even coming from naive background of Kansas. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm curious as to sort of this particular call to adventure and mm-hmm. had to shake you to your core a bit. Um, but have you found that you've come out of it stronger in your comfort with your voice? Or do you find that you're still sort of processing what it all means. I think I'll be processing it for my entire life, especially in this particular arena. There is always work to be done. And, you know, even when I'm working on the podcast with Kate, there's certain very delicate topics that no matter how kindly you handle them, you're going to piss someone off Mm -hmm. because it is so important. So when it comes to social justice, when it comes to body image, it's, like I realize I will have the best of intentions and probably still fail at times. And There's no way to be perfect in that arena. No, yeah. but I, I, mean, I will I, try and I will learn and I will take constructive criticism and what feels like a punch in the face will actually be very useful in the future, even though at the time you're like, screw you, why are you so mean to me? It's like, okay, all right, no, that was a learning process. Thank you. But don't do it to me again, but thank you. (laughs) Don't do it again, please, yeah. So, yes, have I learned? Absolutely. Will I ever feel 100%? I mean, even when I talk to Sean, she's like, I still mess up. And she's been at this for 20 plus years. Well, that's what I mean about the, you know, the sort of scrutiny that you're held to, um, which, which is unusual. Like, like Alex was saying before you got here was uh, LeBron James isn't held up to that kind of scrutiny. <laughs> well, LeBron, like, I mean, he, LeBron James, you know. Because uh, all he has to do is dunk a basketball well, and then people are like, ah, exactly. we love you again. <laughs> no, but, 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 but there are critics of people like LeBron James who say you have a global following. Yeah. You need to use uh, to it. do more. You need to do more, and I think LeBron James. But if that's not I, his calling, I, it's uh, right. Just, I, I, not I, everyone's meant to to get up there and and and. Spout not everybody's gospel. an activist. No, and if the, it, I mean, that's the worst thing you can do is someone who doesn't want to be an activist ask them to be because then it's not coming from their heart and they're just getting up there stumbling over themselves. Right. But his platform is basketball. He yeah. makes people feel good through what he is so insanely talented at. Like people go to they love sports because that's like their, their escape, you know? So to me, that is a form of activism in the sense it's like you are doing what God wants you to do and you do it really good. Yeah. And, and that brings joy to people. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like your platform is yoga being true to yourself. Uh, My platform is expected to be more uh, of an activist. Right. It comes with the territory. But, and I guess that's my question. I mean, what's expected uh, versus what is true to you? Right. 
do you have to listen to what's expected? I mean, you, we talked about like you will. You have to hear it, but you don't have to listen to it. Right there, you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I see people who I consider in my my world doing stuff, doing so much stuff that I'll look at it and be like, I'm an asshole. <laughs> I mean, she's done more before breakfast than I've done in the last year, you know. And those are the moments where like, God, I gotta like, I gotta do more. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. But you know, it's really it comes back to, I need to focus on what fires me up. The work that I do with animal shelters and dogs, like that gets me fired up. And do I have my own brick and mortar? No, I don't yet. I would love to, but it's so easy to fixate on like what you haven't done and then think you're a bad person instead of focusing on what you have done. And obviously we all know there's a lot of expenditure of energy that gets lost in the, Oh, I haven't done enough. I haven't Mm -hmm. done enough. It's like, no, 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 no. Just, do what you can right now. Focus on that and right. g- keep cultivating what is powerful to you. And right. don't forget to to take a moment to pause and 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 be grateful for what you already have accomplished. Right, because yes. it, it is so easy to to forget just all of it. breeze right past it all and and keep looking forward and forget where you've been. Mm-hmm. I think you know on on that note we should. Listen to some more music. <laughs> well, Cat Castle's some a great fun song. music, right? I've never heard this too. Oh, you haven't? No, but, I haven't uh, either. It's a great way to come out of that oh, conversation because, yeah. Yes. Let's hear it. Castle by Halsey. Enjoy. They wanna make me their queen. 
Okay, we're back. Here we are again, Call to Adventure. This is John Duckworth with Alexopolis. Catherine Budig with us today. We were just listening to Castle by Halsey. Pretty good stuff. Both Alex and I were introduced for the first time to this musician. Thank you, Catherine. Pleasure. Um, so, third call to adventure you bring up is your divorce. Yeah. And new relationship. Quite a bit wrapped up in that package. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is fairly recent. Yeah, the divorce was final... January of this year, actually, 2016. January of this year. Okay, so were you just going through that as the whole, like, yoga journal controversy was happening? Was that happening at the same time, or that that preceded? No, I was still, we were still together when all that happened. Okay. Um, We separated, so in in the good state of South Carolina, you legally have to be separated for a year. I do know this. Which is really fun. Um, Honestly, (laughs) really fun listening to you. It's really fun, you guys. Um, I'm 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 an advocate for that, just because I feel like it's really easy in this world we live in to to make black and white decisions about things like that. I understand. (laughs) Not to say you should live together. No, we didn't. We definitely did not. But you were ready. You were. You didn't want to wait that year. It was done. It was a long year. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so that that was just final January of this year. The mm-hmm. the yoga journal controversy preceded that. Yes. Um, and in the meantime, you were writing a book, right? The the book I had written when I was still married, and it released okay a few months after we separated. A few months after. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, how awkward was that, seeing as there's a section in the book devoted to how you met your husband skydiving? And- yeah, you know, 
I, 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 that was not great. Just make that noise again. <laughs> How can Don't I do it? Do a sad one. <laughs> uh, I don't love that, but at the same time, it's a great story. Yeah, it is. And it is particularly because it involves one of the topics that we love to get into so much around here, which is fear. Yes. And I love that that you found a way to turn stepping into the unknown into something full of curiosity and and, uh, and to anticipation. And it's still very personal. It really, yes, he was a component in that story, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the romance part didn't really have anything to do with it. A little backstory for people who don't know, who haven't read the book yet, but it's called Aim True. It's broken into three parts, really. It's basically how to aim true in all different components of your life. So there's, it's a cookbook because how can you aim true in your kitchen, Mm -hmm. um, through your body, through yoga, through your mind, through meditation. Um, There's just the philosophy of it, where it came from. And then it expands into like holistic living and... And then one of the personal stories is meeting your now ex uh, skydiving. And so yes. that was the fear aspect that I was referring to yes. for people who don't know that like you were Story about terrified jumping out of, a plane. of jumping out of an airplane. Yes. And, and that led you to a realization that it was actually not the airplane jump. It was just fear of the unknown. Absolutely. And, and that altered your relationship to fear moving forward. Yes. Yes. And it, it you know, it's just that moment of you think you're going to wet your pants and then you leap and millisecond later it's the best experience of your entire life and you've told yourself that this is going to be atrociously horrendously the worst ah. um super frightening super frightening and the next thing you know you're smiling from ear to ear exactly like- so it, it to this day that experience when i have those moments of there's no way i can do this this is going to be horrible i, I do recall that so in that sense i'm glad it's in the book because i think it's a very nice anecdotal story that can be applicable to most people's experiences with the concept of fear and the concept of unknown. Yeah. (laughs) Was there a fear uh, involved in finding yourself in love with somebody of the same sex? No, actually. Uh, I see it was so complicated because I remember being really nervous about telling my mom, who was the first person that I told, but it wasn't the fear of, I mean, I knew it was a bit of a curveball that I fell in love with a woman, but it was more like, God damn it, I just got married. Mm. They just paid for this amazing wedding. (laughs) They're going to hate me. (laughs) Um, So it was a combination of feeling like I was going to be judged because we had been, it was just about a year uh, that we had been married. And so I had a lot of hesitation around that. And what are people going to think of me? And, and... It, it was difficult because when I told everyone, my friends, my family, they were all very supportive, which is ultimately what don't we all want? We want support, right. but ended up messing me up in the head in the long run because I'm like, wait, if you guys are all supporting me, that means you don't really want me to be with him. And why did you let me marry someone that mm. you didn't really want me to be with? And am I insane? Like, do I have no perception? You know, and so I'm going back looking at everything like, well, how, well, how, why, what? Was what? I missing the boat completely yes. and nobody was telling was me, Was I totally the checked out like, the entire time? And thanks, you guys. So it, it was very mm. complicated because I want the support system, but it's also like, I mean, why didn't you shake me? Right. Why? Yeah, have you since had those conversations? Mm. Was it clear to other people that it wasn't a, the best match? Yes. Or it was, okay. <laughs> yes, it okay. was clear to many of them but it's but you were committed so well I think I think we can all relate to this when we have people that we love and they're in a relationship that we don't really want them to be in but that's not our call right that's theirs 
and also you just don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And just because you have your perception of a relationship doesn't mean that it's actually might be really good. Um, of course, like hearing later about stories that were very hurtful, that, that was frustrating for me to hear and that my friends didn't speak up. So but that, it goes back to the, the second segment, I think, when we were talking about, like, I want to be where I am had I not had yeah. that experience with him. And we also had a very public engagement. And I'm sure anyone who's ever been engaged before who thinks maybe you don't really want to get married when lots of people know and you have invitations a lot of and you've been planning. And it's just like, well, we're in. It's a delicate balance. I mean, yeah. I've always said about friendship that I value those friends the most who are willing to sh- tell yeah. me things that I don't want to hear. You yeah. Know? And I remember telling my mother that I was engaged prior to marrying my wife, Monica. Um, And when I told my mom about the engagement, she looked at me across the table. She said, it's the worst decision you've ever made. (gasps) This this is what he means by the strong woman in his family. Wow. She doesn't pull any punches. And There's no like, have a drink, honey. No, (laughs) it's the the worst decision you've ever made. And I'll support you if you make it. And I'm like, you know, I mean... Sort of beautiful, real haunting and beautiful. I was going to say, there's no time. getting that out of but your head. Did that feel like a slap in the face? Oh, I did it at the time. Yeah, at but the time, I mean, yeah. upon reflection, yeah. it's like, what else could you ask for for somebody who loves you? I love the way you talked about, because I was thinking about like sexual identity. Mm-hmm. You're in love with a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about, we were having this conversation. There's like, I think 10 different, and, and I'm a novice in this topic, but I think there's like 10 different sexual identifications today. Oh God, there's more than that. Okay. Yeah. There's more than that, right? <laughs> there's definitely more than that. And, Tip of the yeah. iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so everybody wants to put us in a box, you know, are you mm-hmm. a heterosexual now? Are yes. you a lesbian now? Or, and I love the way you described it. I'm in love with another human being that happens to be a woman. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's a beautiful, how do you think about that topic? And, and I, I th- think that we're moving in the right direction, especially when I look at my niece is 24 and when I look at our youth, because I see generally speaking, it's becoming normalized. And like when I was growing up, when I was in middle school and high school, I don't remember knowing anyone who was openly gay. It, you know, it just wasn't, it, it either wasn't talked about, it wasn't a thing. Um, and now, you know, I'll talk to uh, my, I even have a family members who identify as bisexual and it, it now seems to be much more accepted. I'm not saying it's this way at every single school in the world, but even, you know, my niece went to, to high school in West Virginia and she was like, yeah, there was totally kids who, hmm. were, who were gay and it wasn't a thing. So I, I do feel hopeful that as they come to age and they become parents, they're going to teach their kids that love, love, is, is, love. love is love. I mean, it's so yeah. overused right now, but still it is. Love is love. And, and you don't have to necessarily, I mean, I'm just curious, even if we raised our kids without the like boy meets girl, and this is the equation and this is the princess and this is the prince, because it's definitely how we're raised. And I'm not saying right. that's wrong, but just perhaps if we raised our kids to, um, this is a human and this is a human and they fall in love, you know, would it change our perspective? You know, because I think for men, there's this machismo like, oh, men don't 
like real men don't sleep with other men because blah, blah, blah. I'm banging my chest. Cats um, beating her chest now. <laughs> you know, and then for women, it's like, well, guys are going to think you're hot if you kiss another girl. That's really sexy. Or, you know, it's just your experimental college phase. You know, mm, you have right. to at least experiment. And it, it's just, it's so belittling to actual love. And, right. and so that... I would love to see that disappear. So people are given permission to just be. And maybe that's your best friend or maybe you're in love with them. And that's okay. You know, and so people can start to see the difference between how they're actually feeling instead of, oh, society tells me I should act this way. And, you know, living in New York was great because walking around holding a woman's hand, like New York is not a the most diverse. But no, yeah. like if yeah. you are not okay with people being gay in New York, you need to get the hell out. Right. <laughs> that's just not going to be a, a thing. And and even we've been knock on wood so far, very accepted in Charleston. We have yet to run up against a really uncomfortable situation. Um, but also, I find Charleston for a southern it's city a fairly, to be very progressive and accepting yeah. for the South. There's a bit of an island in the in the South in that regard. In some exactly. Ways. Yeah. So it's. It, it's an awareness that I never had before, personally. I mean, I've, I have plenty of friends who identify as queer, gay, straight. You know, there's mm-hmm. all the different uh, identifications. Boxes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I hope we're moving in it. It's not as fast as I would like it to be. It's definitely moving. I mean, particularly when you look moving. at topics like uh, uh, gay marriage and you look at individual yes. states coming in and weighing in on the topic, and that happened pretty quickly over yeah. a short period of time. I mean, it, it, it took a while to get to the point where states started weighing in on it, and then finally the federal government steps in. And even now. Australia recently. I mean, we're yeah. baby steps, but we're getting there. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like it reminds me of that conversation we had the other day about Chuck Klosterman. Yeah. Like 200 years from now, there'll be people sitting around going, man, those people were strange. <laughs> Why were they even bothering other people about that kind of thing, you know? Well, talk a little bit about that topic because it was about what if we're wrong, right? Yeah. So set the stage yeah, yeah. for our listeners about that conversation. You know, that was the, the essence was, you know, if you look back and study history, mm-hmm. there's so many moments in history that you can look back on and go, wow, people were way off the mark on that one <laughs> and totally accepted every bit of it. I mean, starting with things like the world is flat. Sure. Um, the earth is the center of the universe. You know, clearly not. You know, the sun revolves around the earth, you know, things like that. Um, and then pulling that forward to topics like gravity. For almost 1,500 years, a commonly held belief of what drove gravity to do what it does was that the earth was the center of the universe and that everything wanted to be in the center. center. <laughs> Just like, it was like a want. Man, I want to be there. You're right. You know, like, and, and that, but that's funny now, right? But real and true at that moment. And that's the part that he was bringing up was like, so what things today right. might people be looking at a few hundred years from now and say like, man, that's or kind of... people looking at Tesla or looking at Einstein and thinking they were crazy, you know, it just... Right. Right. These absolutely absurd concepts that it's like, oh, they're actually pretty correct about that one. And it also led to the conversation about, like, why do most of us approach any topic with I'm this way and you're with a particular that black way, and white. Right? The, the world is somewhat divided into black and white. Well, it's, it goes back to the unknown. I mean, the unknown is the scariest thing for people. So if they can label themselves, it's safer there because mm-hmm. it's... I know exactly what I'm going to get, you know, even within yoga, some of the most popular teachers are the teachers who teach the same exact 
class. Right. Which to me, I'm like, oh, it's so boring. But it's popular because people know they I'm going to walk into this class. It, yeah. This is what I'm going to get. This is how I'm going to feel. This is what I'm paying for. And I think there's comfort with, you know, in a, a world that is always changing and, and maybe you have a job that's very caustic, you know, if you have something that you can go to and you know, no matter what, like this is going to be fixed. Yes. Yeah. Then yeah. there's comfort in that. Have you found that the fixed world is... It I mean, pisses I find, me off. I find it pisses var- me off to no end. I find the <laughs> variable world, the unknown is perhaps the scariest, but also the most compelling. I mean, it's where mm-hmm. you see the most growth. It's where you see it's the, the most, most fascinating. Right. It's where the magic is happening. Absolutely. And I'm going to sound like an egomaniac when I say this, but I have conversations uh, with my friend Gina Caputo, who's a phenomenal yoga teacher. And anytime we feel like we have this really innovative idea and people aren't understanding us, they're like, they're just not ready for us. Right. The world isn't ready for this level. <laughs> they just want their vanilla cone. Give them their vanilla cone. They right. can't handle this. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a fascinating conversation. I mean, we spent hours around the fire sort of yeah. talking about it. Um, just the, the intense need for humanity to label. Mm-hmm. And I just thought when you talk about sexual orientation, that's like at the top of that labeling. And I just thought the way you articulated it was beautiful. Thank you. I'm in love with another human being. So. But it's so personal. So for someone to label you in a way that you don't identify, that's why people go so crazy. Because that's one of your core things, that like your gender and your sexuality. And when people mess with that, that's that's not like, I don't like your shirt. Oh, yeah. This is something that is you. At the core of who yes. you are. Yeah. And so people, of course, people are going to get fired up. And they want to be accepted and understood for how they identify and feel. And th- that doesn't shock me at all that... At least the people who are getting shoved into boxes that are, what is it, the peg into the hole, peg into right. the oh, yeah. square. I'm the square worst. Peg, <laughs> square peg in a round hole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> yeah I'm the worst. And you know I flipped those I'm like, Alex, you're not helping like, me. I don't know. That shape that doesn't square fit the other one. Square peg in a round hole, right? <laughs> yeah, we threw two birds at a square peg. Yeah. And it was like, wow, I don't know what that means. <laughs> well... <laughs> Speaking of your, your your human, your other human. My other human. Um, she uh, she has a number one New York Times bestseller. Yeah, she's uh, smart. What Made Maddie Run. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys have a podcast together. We do. Um, called Free Cookies on ESPN. Uh, ESPNW. ESPNW. At first I was thinking that you were pivoting away from yoga. Mm-hmm. As I thought about it, I realized, well, maybe it's not that. It's more that you're just, you're opening yourself up to more possibilities. It's a new iteration. Yeah. It's, I I will, I'll never fully abandon yoga because in many ways it's been so good to me and it is the core of what I do. But, you know, if you practice yoga, you know, it's this swath of possibility. So it's, it's taking the the past 15 years of experience and, and, and translating it into something that keeps me on my toes that's entertaining for me that's hopefully going to be entertaining for my readers or listeners or whatever capacity you're consuming what I'm offering and um, yeah I just I, I know what I don't want to do is to, to keep hitting the road as hard as I've, I've been traveling for the past 10 years maybe doing workshops and conferences and and um, it's the hustle I, I'm over it. it I'm not over my students it, I love them but I, I'm over what it does to me physically I want to be home I want to create a routine. You know, I, I want to invade your podcast space so we don't have to go to New York anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, Come we're just, we're both Charleston's a good that. town to to settle oh, into when it comes so to great. that. There's a there's a a pace 
that is embedded into this community. And, mm-hmm. and I've talked about it for a while now. A lot of it's derived from the weather yeah. um, and the humidity and the, you know, the, the flat land that we're surrounded by. Everything's a lot more subtle. Uh, I talked to a good mm-hmm. friend years ago who's since passed away and, and, and he was like, John, man, when, you know, I, I grew up in this town when there wasn't air conditioning. Oh, so in the summer, I mean, people had to slow you leave. down. They, no, they just slowed down. Crack open the a lot of people did go to the mountains for sure. <laughs> Crack open the bourbon, <laughs> sweet tea on the porch, put up the right. parasails and move slowly. Parasails. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I love it. Women with their parasails, men with their hats, and yes. and and so that is like built into the woven into the fabric of this community. Like in New York. There, there's this conversation about never enough. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's almost this badge of honor. Hey, Catherine, I worked 80 hours last week. What'd you do? Right. And in Charleston... And I'm hungover right now. And, and look right. how well I, I am <laughs> right, performing. Right, right. <laughs> totally. But in Charleston, it's really okay the other way around to be like, hey, Catherine, guess what I did in the middle of the day yesterday? Went for a two-hour bike ride. Like, sweet. Right on, you know, like, you know, and then I sat out and enjoyed the sun for a minute or went fishing or, you know, walked Mm -hmm. on the beach. It's not actually condemned. Whereas like if you're doing that in some other cities where it's a lot faster paced, LA might be another one. People would hold you up and be like, I can't believe you took the time. Guess what? I had a second latte today. (laughs) That's right. It was awesome. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I can keep playing this game. I like this game. <laughs> I'm particularly uh, intrigued to see where you move into next. Because Me too. you are, you have opened up. <laughs> I know that your favorite author is Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. and that you also have talked about, you know, writing. Of course, you already have written two books, but you would like to write fiction one day. I would. And that's a whole nother universe of, of unknown that sounds like a fun thing to jump into. Yeah, the next book, whatever it will be, will definitely be quite different than yeah. the last two. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Well, well, keep us posted. I'm sure you will. Yes, I'll be dancing outside of my box. You cannot put me there. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Uh, There'll they, be a video of it and you'll be skewered on YouTube. It's fine. <laughs> right. Hate is going to hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for spending some time with us. Of really course, enjoyed this it. This is awesome. Thank um, you. And welcome to Charleston. Thank you. And uh, wish you the best on the new journey, a different journey. Uh, uh, life is a journey, right? I mean, gosh, if you find the place. What did somebody say? I was listening to a podcast with, um, with Ray Dalio, who is the founder of Bridgewater Associates. And Tim Ferriss was interviewing him. And he said, you know, what, what are your, name your successes. And I, you know, I don't really think about my successes. Like, obviously, I had a lot of them if I'm created the company that I've yeah. created. He said, but I, I think about my mistakes more and what I learned from them. Um, and he said, which was interesting, uh, pain plus reflection equals progress. And uh, so. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Welcome I, to the new journey. <laughs> pain is a really good motivator. That's what uh, I found for sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, all of the moments, and I find it interesting uh, for all of our guests, all the calls to adventure really have a similar relationship in that they start in struggle, yeah. obstacle, pain, mm-hmm. loss. Um, so thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thanks for sharing it with our guests and our listeners. And uh, we're going to lead out with uh, another tune I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> were you familiar with this, John? I was not, no. <laughs> Agnes by Glass Animals. Let's hear it. Enjoy.
That was Agnes by Glass Animals, John Duckworth, Alexopoulos, and we just sat down, had a really fun, interesting conversation with Catherine Budig. What'd you think, Alex? Yeah, I, I love her. Uh, you know, she's she's a raw, powerful, independent 
strong woman. And uh, I love sitting around and spending time with those types of people. You've spent your life around a lot of those women, right? She fits the mold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but don't put her in a box, man. No, I'm I'm not putting her in a box. I love the, <laughs> I love that she doesn't uh, she doesn't play by the rule of labels. You know, I think the way she described her love uh, for her current relationship with Kate. You know, I, I don't think she. I didn't get the sense that she identified as the box of a lesbian or the box of heterosexual or bisexual or any of it. I just felt like the way she communicated about that was uh, I, I fell in love with an, with another human being and yeah. she was a woman you know she does seem unusually comfortable in that in that role which is really refreshing to see i mean we talk about the the way things shift and change and how much movement has been made in that in that direction in that uh, arena and i think she's proof positive that quite a bit's been accomplished in that direction just to be that comfortable but but as you say that, can't you just imagine the voices out there that say it's not that easy, you know? Oh, you of should, course. You should yeah. have to struggle to go from one side to the other side. You know? Right, right, uh, right. The fact that you didn't doesn't mean it means you must not really be a lesbian. Catherine Budig cannot be the face of the lesbianism, right? <laughs> right. She's the face of love, and I'd I'd rather be that, right? Yeah, um, totally. So I, I I really enjoyed the conversation. She's. Um, I would, you know, we talked a lot about fearless, you know, the other night around the fire. Um, And courage. And and courage. And I don't get the sense, you know, fearless being the absence of any fear. I I would almost call that reckless. Um, Courage being the presence of fear and just the ability to walk through it, right? Mm -hmm. Is that a fair description? Totally. Um, And I, you know, I think of her as a very courageous young woman. Yeah, I agree too. Yeah, and and even you know, I think she talked about just sort of naively stepping into some of this, mm-hmm. um, and you know, for instance, with uh, some of the controversy that came up early in her career with the naked toe socks yeah. ads. But she had already gone through the fear of stepping into a room and posing naked for a artistic photographer, and so by the time the ad ask came around, she was like, "Yeah, cool, let's do this." I think that really prepared her, having already felt comfortable in that in that arena. Um, yeah, and I think that I, what's interesting about the whole body image thing for me is that you know it, it almost feels as if there's this uh, there's certain populations or people that are uh, okay to have body image right issues, but if you're white and five foot four and a size four and blonde hair and blue eyes, that you can't have body image issues. And I just think that... Or at the very least, there's a spectrum of, of, of value. Right. Like, like, oh, your issues can't, aren't actually as uh, important or, or as... Um, yeah, there's a, there's a hierarchy there to that, the body issue spectrum. And that just feels totally unfair. Like, it does. It feels a little bizarre in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, I think the beautiful part of yoga as I relate to it is it's uh, it doesn't have you know it it in theory doesn't have the dogma attached to it you know for me it's an individual practice there's nobody telling me the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it Um, and yet when you sort of get a little bit more into the community actually there's there's a lot more dogma Uh, there's a lot more need to do it this way, need to sort of approach it 
that way. Um, and I just, you know, question I would ask is if there's a right way, uh, you know, doesn't that sort of become like Catholicism? You know, I mean, there's a right way to be a Catholic, you know, can't be just a Catholic. Certainly, certainly. I mean, it gets into dogma pretty quickly. Yeah. And it gets into a lot of infighting really quickly, which is the irony of the whole process. Right. But I mean, you know, circling around um, to the practice of yoga, and the way I was first introduced to, to Catherine was through a website called yogaglow.com. And she teaches. I remember a friend introduced me and said, hey, you know, you spend a lot of time in your studio. This is a great way to get in touch with some quality teachers and you just pay a monthly subscription and pull them up online and practice with a teacher uh, in your in your home. And she's one of the first instructors on there. And, mm-hmm. and there's a ton of different instructors. The, the, the platform's really fascinating because you can go in and, and, and search. I got 30 minutes, I need some energy. Or I got an hour, I want to wind down my day. And it'll pull up a yoga class specifically for that purpose. Right. And somehow or another, I did one of Catherine's classes and it really resonated with me. And for me, that's, that's really as simple as it needs to get. Uh, so that's what I always, that's what I would come back to at the end of it is, is to, you know, push all the other stuff aside and, and uh, uh, the practice itself is, is, can be really fantastic. The other thing I thought fascinating was just the whole concept of social media. You know, I really um, am an outsider, <laughs> truly an outsider as it relates to that world. But being able to, you know, uh, have a conversation with somebody who's right in the middle of that world, oh, gosh, what a complicated place, you no, know? Kidding. I mean, it feels like a blessing and a curse, right? No question. I mean, what an opportunity uh, to have that many people who are following your thoughts and your photos and and it's an opportunity and simultaneously like a validation of, wow, I'm, I, people really do want to hear what I have to share. And, you know, in a community that, like I said, like as an artist, you know, yoga teacher is in a similar position, challenging, a lot of competition, not a lot of pay. So to have people, you know, follow you and have your voice resonate with them has to feel good. Has to feel great. But the, the, the question there is, at what point does the number of people who follow you change the, mm. view, the way you post from, you know, this is who I am and this is what I think and this is what I'm doing and this is what I think is interesting and important to I have a responsibility now to do certain things or say certain things or approach topics in certain ways because I now have X amount of people following me. And at some point there's that, transition. Yeah. And that feels really weird to me. Yeah. I think everybody's going to have it at a different point, but yeah. certainly, yeah, there's, there's got to be a spillover point where it's like, oh, wow, not necessarily people are following me. People are watching me and scrutinizing me in ways that uh, can, uh, can add some weight to that, that entire conversation. And that's got to be really challenging. Yeah. I mean, for me, it would be, so I just want to make a shout out because I'm super appreciative to my 22 followers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, they'll be commenting now. Yeah, Uh, yeah, great, great, great conversation. uh, And uh, nice to meet Kate. Uh, Oh, yeah. And fantastic music. I really enjoyed the music, the new tunes. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's good to have her in town. And I know she said she's going to start to... 
she'll probably do, be doing a little bit of teaching here in Charleston. Not sure when or where yet, but uh, for those listeners who live in Charleston, keep your ears and eyes open for that. She is fantastic, and uh, it's good to have her here in town. So uh, another another episode, another podcast in the in the books. Catherine Budig, glad she was here, and thank you to everybody who joins us on this journey. We've got uh, Andrew King, Matt Zutel, Tabitha. Yeah, thanks everybody. Uh, Ohm Radio, thank you for kickstarting us on this journey. Um, what was that, a year and a half, two years ago now? Yeah, two years ago. Two years. Wow. Time does fly. All right. Well, Alex. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, always good to hang. Till next time. Cheers. Remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.